And we are live. Welcome, welcome. Hi, ladies. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Strong Tea. Um, Strong Tea is the love child, brain child, love child. It's just a child. Brain love. Yeah, brain love. love. Um, Of Vicky and mine. And it is designed to talk about issues which are maybe slightly taboo, slightly difficult to talk about, and things that people tend to steer away from because it makes them feel uncomfortable. And we're here to just chat and find out a bit more about those to educate ourselves and to educate others. So I'm Katie from Strong and Brave. And I'm Vicky from Late in Life Coaching. Um, And yes, welcome, welcome. Hello, everyone. And first of all, as is tradition with Strong Tea, we always say, what are we drinking, girls? Well, tea? Just just what sort of tea? A little bit more specific. What tea? Um, Everyday Twinings. Oh, Oh, that's that's classy. I am. I'm drinking a giant mug of just regular Yorkshire tea. I haven't gone for Yorkshire Gold today, but this mug looks very plain, but it's bought for me by my wonderful friend, Hannah. And when you drink it and get to the bottom, it says, I bloody love you on the bottom. Oh, that's great. You just keep drinking. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) What are you drinking? So... I have gone for a sweet chamomile by Joe's Tea Company, and I cannot recommend it enough. It is probably, and this is a big claim, it's the best chamomile tea I've ever had. So, yeah, no, I know, I know, big claim. But very excited to be sharing a tea with Rach today. Hello, Rach. Hi. And Rach is our guest on today's Strong Tea. And should we just dive in? Rach, what's, Let's your, do it. what's your story? Yeah, tell us your story. Okay, hi everybody. Um, during my time at university, um, in my early 20s, I developed bulimia. Um, I couldn't tell you why I decided to do it, but um, there was a lot of change and stress in my life. It was a big challenge going off to university. I started a degree, I was miles away from home, and I had new friends to make and, and, and a new life to live. So. It, it was a big part of uh, the next stage in my life. Um, so I met my boyfriend, um, he, which was a real comfort blanket actually at that time. Um, and his family was lovely and kind of became my family, an extension of, of me. Um, and they really helped me through this um, really strange, very tough um, time of having bulimia. Sounds like um, I, I suppose everything compounds, doesn't it? When you leave home and all of a sudden you're faced with an entirely new situation, and you've got to sort of dive in with both both feet, both hands, diving. Um, did you do you remember when it started? Do you remember consciously thinking, "I'm not happy," or "I'm you know not happy with the way that I look," or "I need to be sick"? Or was there was there a sort of trigger specifically for it you know what I couldn't tell you when the first time was that I did it I just remember I I was alone which I think made it easier I had no one watching over me or seeing what I was doing um and I just did it once and it became something that I did over and over again it was it was really strange but I couldn't tell you that first time I couldn't say to you oh it was this day I remember and so and so and 
I just remember I felt quite isolated and lonely because I was away from my family. Um, and I think because I was on my own, it made it, well, it hid it, didn't it? Because no one really knew. And how do you remember, obviously you said you can't remember the first time, but do you remember how it made you feel that first time? Yeah, I mean, I just, I just, I just did it. And it felt great because what I had just divulged in was a massive bowl of pasta. This is just an example, but I, I remember having, the, I remember one specific moment, a big bowl of tortellini, fresh tortellini pasta. And uh, as soon as I ate that, I knew that couldn't stay in my system. So I, I did something about it. And that was, I brought it back up again. Really strange. And then it, it I suppose it snowballed. It, it wasn't then just about making myself sick. Um, I would then watch everything I ate. And there'd be starvation times when I wouldn't eat properly. Um, so it was not just the, the sickness side of it, but then I wouldn't eat a proper healthy diet. So, and it would always be like divulging on really crazy things like this big bowl of pasta. And it probably was the whole packet of tortellini. Whereas now as a family, I split that between us because we couldn't, yeah. so it was almost overeating to then get it out of my system. And then the snowball effect was, I started seeing a huge difference in the way I, I looked and my appearance. And then I clung on to that little bit of, I'm looking slim, I'm looking skinny, I was looking a lot thinner, people noticed it, and they didn't like how I looked, but I liked the fact that they complimented me in a way, because in a way I felt like they were saying, you're skinny, and in my head, oh, it's doing something. Mm. So would you say that was... Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, go no, on. I'm just getting into this episode now. <laughs> um, would you say that was almost like that acceptance, that social acceptance of, oh, I'm skinny, I'm, you know, people are, are taking notice? Yeah, because I think I felt quite lost. Um, not only I was in a new place, I mm. was on my own, I had no family, I had new friends to make. I was in a world that it's music and performing arts. So it's a big world out there, lots of characters. Only now have I got the confidence that I've got. But back then, in my early 20s, I kind of just blended in. And I suppose, like what you're saying, Vicky, maybe it pulled me out of the crowd and people mm -hmm. spotted me a bit more. Maybe that's, you know, that's why. Did you recognise at the time, that first time that you were sick, did you recognise it and think, oh, my God, what I've just done is 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 bulimia you know I've binged and then I've thrown up did you looking back do you think you realized you had a problem and you were in denial about it or do you just think it just became a part of your life I think I just did it once it became a part of my life only now and as I've got older I, I can talk about it back then I never talked about it and it was only those that were close to me um, and supported me could see what was happening I was really good at hiding it, did very well at hiding it. I masked it. And you say about the people around you, did people, obviously maybe people might not have known you as well as others. Did some people sort of approach you and say, you know, we're concerned about you or, you know, whether they were friends or family, did, how did people react to your, your changes? I had a real mixture of 
different outcomes. So my family, my own family, um, because obviously I would go back home to, to see them because um, they're not, they weren't local to me. Um, my dad asked if I was on drugs because he noticed a dramatic change in the way I looked. So he was like, are you on drugs? That was his question. My mum never, ever, really strangely, never talked to me about it, but she knew something wasn't right. I didn't open up about it. But my mother-in-law now, who was my boyfriend's mum at the time, said to me, um, do you want to have children? And it was at that point that I thought, yeah, I do. I, I had no idea really of the long-term damage that I could potentially do. And she, she'd give me Sunday dinners and they'd invite me over very often for food because she knew she would do that. And I would never, ever make myself sick in anyone else's house. It would purely be my thing I did when I was at my house. Isn't that strange though? That was the only thing I did. I wouldn't do it out and about. I'd make sure I saved it until I was at home. Sounds like it became a part of your identity. Like it was your thing, you know, it, it was almost, you know, there, there was the eating disorder was part of rage. Yeah, it was. It, it yeah. was me. No one else. It was my problem. It was my thing. I created it. I did it. It was when I was at home. It was in my comfort zone. It was all the things that I did and never did it out and about. I would never do it if I went to a restaurant. It would always be in my zone did it ever frighten you? Because it sounds like you had it quite in control. Um, like you said, it was in your house, on your terms. But did it ever frighten you at all? Yeah. I think um, the one time when I um, was faint, I fainted. I used to, just to faint quite a lot. Um, and um, my partner had to kind of get me off the toilet because I, I knew I could I, I knew and it became a point where fainting became my thing then as well because I'd obviously I'd, I'd starved myself of so much that I, I I was just very weak um and I knew there were little trigger points that I knew so my hearing would go I'd hear sort of like a bell in the background and then I'd feel a bit woozy and I think and I get really hot and clammy and then and a couple of times I've collapsed on the floor and if it wasn't for my partner being there you know I don't know I don't know what would have happened it was but it was always in the place where I was just backtracking a bit to um what you said your dad asked you about if you were on drugs did that set off any alarm bells where you were kind of like oh hold on a minute maybe I'm maybe I'm too thin or maybe you know this is creating too much or did you just think wow someone can see the changing me and you and you carried on did it spur you on or did it did it worry you uh, it didn't worry me no it almost was like oh he's noticed now because he I used to get when I was younger be called like chubby and right podgy fatty and I think you know all of those things in your younger days you don't don't forget them um so actually at that point I thought oh you think I'm on drugs now well, actually, no, I'm not on drugs, but I am doing some damage to myself. But you've noticed there's a change in me. You know, I, I'm, I'm noticed now. And I think I clung on to that rather than, and I suppose I was a little bit worried because I was thinking, mm, are they on to me? Do they know? So part of me might have been a little bit worried. Do they know what I'm doing? 
Um, and I remember suffering as well at that time, not only with fainting, um, but panic attacks. I'd never had them before. And I had this almighty panic attack in my, my mum and dad's house in the dining room. And I just remember thinking, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And I, I, and I just I lost control and, and it, was, it was horrible. My, and my, I think my blood sugar levels were just all over the place. Because, you know, if you think I'm going to someone's house and I'd eaten a massive meal, I'd felt myself up with all this food. And then when I get home, I perhaps make myself sick. And then I'm back down again and it was going, you know, and my body was not coping with that well at all and so so the panic attacks were horrific I'd get them and I could feel my like palpitations um so yeah I suppose it was a mixture of things I felt like my dad's noticed so okay actually one way great because he's noticed something in another way not great is he on to me right that's like a vicious circle it was you know Obviously, it was causing horrendous damage with the panic attacks that you'd never had before, but people were noticing, but you didn't want to get caught. And it was kind of going around and around and around. Have I frozen? You've frozen, but that's fine. <laughs> we can hear you. My face is frozen. Can you see me? I still hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah, really strange. It was a nasty, vicious circle. And uh, it, yeah, it, it took a while to get out of it. I couldn't actually tell you the time length that I was in it and the time length it took for me to come out of it but I it took a while it, it took a while but I never talked about it then this is Rachel now and I've been very open about it um and talked about it but I've never spoken about it um when when I was in the situation did you feel the anxiety and the panic attacks were sort of exacerbated by being in a situation where you were going to have to eat and then you couldn't be sick afterwards like if you were going to you know like you say about going to your mother-in-law's house and sitting and eating a whole roast dinner did did were you then thinking oh my god you know I have to get home I've got to I've got to get rid of this out of my body was was that a big source of anxiety for you yeah yeah and I do remember um I was away for a week with family, um, not with family, I stayed with family, but I was away um, on a course. And I remember when I was there and I still, I continued it and it's mad to think about it. I was at my auntie, she never knew, but I was doing it there. Wow. I was doing it and she had no idea. So I'd eat my dinner, but I waited. I was clever. I was clever at masking it. I was really clever. Um, and I think, you know, these, these are the issues that you know that if you want to help someone you know it, it's for me it's about talking I, d I don't think that it was noticed that I had it apart from close family um of my partners who noticed that I wasn't um eating and then saw the dramatic weight loss because they'd seen me perhaps daily mm. or a few days so it was noticeable whereas it was probably not it was perhaps drastic for my family because I wouldn't see them that often. So perhaps the question of are you on drugs for my dad is because it was such a big change from when they they saw me. Um, but I, I don't think like my university, I think university could have supported me far better. You know, there were things, I don't think um, it was noted really what was going on. And it's sad. I think that's really sad because I think, I think back to my university days, I don't find they were enjoyable. Right. 
I, th I think you've you've highlighted um, quite a few mental impacts that it had on you, right, with the panic attacks and the anxiety. Yeah. Apart from the extreme weight loss that you suffered, I know where we've talked about it before, you've said like to the point where you could see your your pelvic bones and, and your, yeah. your bones were visible. Um, was there any other physical symptoms that showed up that that concerned you or that you thought, yeah, okay, this this is clearly evident that I am not taking care of myself? Um, I think I had a horrific water infection one time and it was horrific in that I was in so much pain and a doctor had to come out to me wow. and that was a real wake-up call of you're you're not looking after yourself Rachel um this this isn't this isn't good and, and like I said it it was my mother-in-law who turned to me and said do you want to have children and that really hit home it was that comment that made me go oh, do you know what I do want to have children and I'd never thought of it and I already knew that I had PCOS at that point so I knew that fertility was not going to be easy for me and obviously me doing the damage that I was doing to myself was not going to help that either and that was the real one so I the, the vitamins, you know, that were out of my body. I had no, nothing in me. I, I starved myself. I panic attacks, you know. I'd, I, although I was in control of what I was doing, I wasn't in control of Rachel because those moments of panic attacks and those things that were happening to me could happen at any point. Um, and that was scary, you know. If I fainted in the middle of one of my lessons at university I just don't know how I would have coped yeah how was your mood at that time because obviously there was this a degree of uncertainty there with as you're saying with the fainting and, and so on so that there's there's a fear that you talked about before but how how were you in your mood and how, how you were yeah I was I was definitely yo-yo up and down up and down I definitely think that there was a and I was very insecure as well, I think I could say that, you know, for my boyfriend at the time, I didn't want him to kind of leave me sometimes because I, he became my comfort blanket because I hadn't got my family. So then he became my comfort blanket and then it would be hard for me to then let him go because I clung on to that part of our relationship. Um, and it, it, it we, it didn't help us at all because there were times when I was too much. I was too much for, for him. And, you know, he was a 20-year-old lad who wanted to go out with his mates for a pint. Um, and at that time, I was like, oh, what about me? You know, and I think, I, you know, my insecurities, they flared up really badly at that time. So, yeah, it wasn't, it mentally wasn't good wasn't good at all I you know I think back to all of those times and how how I was and I just was not happy and it's really sad to say that but I wasn't although I was happy with my boyfriend because subsequently now he's my husband and I have two children with him and we are very happy but I suppose at that time I was in such an unhappy place which was new friends university new life it was a massive, huge step. And I don't think I was ready. Really. And I took a year out as well. And I think it was a big, a big shock to the system. 
big shock. How, when you, when your mother-in-law said to you, or your boyfriend's mother at the time, um, said to you, you know, do you want to have children? And all of a sudden it was like a light bulb moment where you thought, I need to stop this. You know, how, how were you able to do that? Did you seek support to try and, you know, work out the best way? Because, you know, obviously this is, I'm not going to say your age, Rach. This is quite a few years ago now. I don't mind <laughs> saying it. <laughs> um, in, in your mid, mid-30s. Because that's where I am. <laughs> really kind. <laughs> um, you know, maybe the um, exposure about eating disorders wasn't quite as um, prominent as it is now. So how did you sort of change your life around in terms of thinking, right, I need to stop doing this, but I don't, you know, I, I've, I've obviously been so used to being sick after every time I eat a meal, how am I going to reintroduce not doing that did, how how were you able to manage that hard it was really hard I just I just I think that I I think I was felt like a little lost soul at that point in my life and obviously reintroducing then food I was really scared that everything I ate at that point was going to make me fat because in my head it was food that was the enemy that's what I thought it's food food makes me fat um and obviously when I ate and I brought it up that got rid of it making me fat because it was out of my system so it's okay now it's not there and it's it took me a long time and I'm still fighting those phobias now you know I still have issues with food now, but I'm learning and I learned to manage it. It was a long process. I, I think, you know, my, my mother-in-law and the family that, that were here with me, they got me through it and helped me eat and were sense, you know, sensible foods. And I, I, I slowly started to introduce foods and stopped making myself sick. Um, and started enjoying my years of my 20s you know we were, we went out and I have to say our 20s was a bit of a rocky start because I did that to myself but actually we had a great 20s I look back at us you know we had some real fun and we went out and we had a great time and I think if it I think if it wasn't for my partner's family I don't know what I would have done if I'd have carried on making myself sick I don't know, but they got me through that and helped me eat and helped me understand food and, and sort of, you know, nurtured me at that time and, and helped me get back on my feet. And I think as soon as I left university, a big weight was lifted off my shoulders because that wasn't an enjoyable time for me. Um, and then I came to Slimming World, which was another big part of me learning to love food and it's like a lifestyle change rather than it being you know a fad diet because that I mean I've done that many fad diets and the, the initial it's great you know I look gosh I look really slim but then a week later I've eaten normally and then it's it's all back again so it was about lifestyle change and and, and being able to understand that food wasn't the enemy because in my head it had been that food was the enemy um 
And it was all about fitting in, I think, when I think back to it now. And I think back to, you know, I had loads of friends who, were, who all seemed in my head really slim and there were this, that and the other. And they were so beautiful and that wasn't me. And I never felt that I fitted in, I suppose, doing what I did. Like I said, Kate, I became noticeable. I'd lost that much weight. Um, and people spotted me. Um, and in my head, that was great because I was noticed then. It, it was like, but it took a long time. And like I said, still now, you know, I'm the other side of my 20s and 30s. Um, and food is still, I still have moments, but I have children and I'm a mum and I have a totally different outlook now. Um, and I think back to it and I never want my daughters I have girls and I think you know equally boys will have there's a lot of problems out there and boys I know suffer with how they look it's a, it's it, it's huge actually because we see these magazines with this is how so so and so looks and we all think we need to be like that and you know me having two girls I want to protect them I don't ever want them to think that they need to be just so you know I want them to be themselves and I'm almost I don't like really try and make a thing about food at home I try not to create too much of an issue because I never want them to feel how I did about food I don't want there to be a problem but I also understand that there are healthy choices you know and it's very much in schools nowadays they talk about the healthy choices and what is right you know and crisps in a packed lunch isn't the best you know choose an apple or a banana and I, I understand that but equally you know I, I found that whenever I've cut the really fun stuff out it's become the problem then because you want the fun stuff. And if you take that away from yourself, then you just want to overindulge in it. And I think, well, actually, you're sensible and you can have the fun stuff and you can still you can still manage it, can't you? I think, you know, it's a, it's a very tough world out there, I think. You know, it's, it's hard for the kids these days going out there and seeing. I, I, but I love there are a lot more models now that they're doing the curvier. I'm seeing it more and more. And, it's, it, and it makes me so happy. I think I see like I can't I can't think of like a name a a brand, but I saw one and they'd got I think it was actually um Stacey Solomon does a range of clothes. And I think she had uh, four or five different women. Yes. Shapes, colour sizes, and it was brilliant. And I was like, that's it, that's what we need. Because sometimes you want to see how it might look on you, because you know, we're not all big boobs tiny waist you know some of us are big bums tiny boobs <laughs> you know we, we're all different shapes and sizes and I think you know the more we've got it in front of us the more it's it seems okay because I think you know the media it's it's quite scary isn't it and the effect Absolutely. it has yeah it's kind of that I'm, I'm I'm always sticking to trying to stick two fingers up to the patriarchy um as Katie knows but it's it's that the social media is fueled by perfectionism and what a society has always deemed as being perfect and I think particularly now with um as you're saying the exposure of uh bigger models or different shapes sizes you know color you know that that yeah. diversity of in inclusion of all body types is so important because back in our day Although we didn't have that social media, we also didn't have the ability to get hold of anything alternative. It was the stick thin models with, you know, your sizes eight to 14. You know, it, it was that. That was your standard. 
So, yeah, and I think it just wasn't really talked about back then either. Have you met others who have had eating disorders as well? So I never talked about it at the time and I didn't talk about it afterwards. I would say it took me um, probably until my late 20s, early 30s to admit my, mm-hmm. my problem. Um, so at the time, I, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't speak to anyone. Um, and I think I think perhaps if I had, I mean, I talk about it now and then more people I talk to, you know, everyone's, oh, yeah, I knew so-and-so, or there was this issue. And, you know, because we are in a very much more of a society where it's okay to talk, and that is great. Um, but at that time, it was hidden. I didn't talk. I didn't speak to anybody um, about it. I hid it, I masked it, it was very clever. Um, and I don't feel that I had the sport. Like I said, you know, I I used to teach. Um, and if I had a student and I noticed, you know, you see them daily and I noticed something physically different about them. I personally would ask if they were okay because that is the type of teacher I was. The pastoral side of it was a big part of what I enjoyed about my job. No one at university ever once said anything. So I think that was really, really bad. No one noticed, no one spotted. Because I think if someone had and I'd been able to speak to someone, I might have felt like I wasn't on my own or alone. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy, really. One of the things you mentioned, Rach, was about having PCOS. Um, now, I, I too have PCOS. Anyone who doesn't know, it's polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, and one of the factors of that is that it means that with something, I can't remember the, the specific statistics, but I think it's something like we are four times more likely to put on weight than the average woman. And the first thing, when I was trying to get pregnant with Poppy, the first thing the fertility specialist said to me was lose some weight. Now, I wasn't particularly big at the time. I wasn't, you know, what I would class as overweight. But of course, I went into panic mode. I was like, oh, my God, I need to lose weight because I need to lose weight to have a baby. You know, when you were trying to get pregnant, was that something that was playing in your mind? And were you thinking, I need to lose weight? And was it a sort of a temptation to go back to the sort of binging and you know, being sick because you knew that that was a tried and tested method or were you just like, no, because I know that's not healthy for me. I just wonder sort of what you've put in place now to prevent you slipping back into that. Um, yeah, so PCOS, same as you, um, trying for a baby. Although they didn't say I was overweight, they said the same. If you do lose some weight, you know, this can higher your chances of conceiving so straight away you think gotta lose weight um never once would I have thought or did I think to do that make myself sick again that has gone Mm. I know that has gone um I actually hate being sick now it's bizarre isn't it but at that point I didn't mind being sick but we had a bug a few years ago and it was just horrific 
and being sick now is just I hate it I it actually makes me feel uncomfortable and I don't like it I suppose because of back then it reminds me of you know what I used to do but never once no never crossed my mind because I the focus was on um the baby wanting to have a baby obsessing about wanting to have a baby because that's what happens at that time because you want something so much and you want it to happen and for me it didn't happen particularly quickly but it did happen I'm very blessed to have two lovely little girls um but the the weight thing definitely thing definitely a big part of it and and you do not making an excuse or whatever but it, it is a big part of PCOS so then that makes it even harder because you know that you've, you're fighting that battle as well as wanting to have a child as well as I mean it's a we do I mean we don't have to go through a lot don't we I do think that I think gosh you know all of us we all go through so much and we put ourselves through so much don't we yeah well, we really what, what do you think I guess looking at things retrospectively now um what do you think if people are concerned for people in their lives, um, think they may have an eating disorder or they think they've got an unhealthy relationship with food, what are the things that you feel that they should look out for? And how do you think it's best approached? Because obviously some people could quite easily, you know, you were very lucky. You had to sound like you had a great relationship with your mother-in-law. And when she said it to you, you weren't like, no, you know, it was kind of very much like an acceptance of, yes, I know this is wrong, I need to change it. Whereas some people could quite easily be like, no, there's nothing wrong. So how do you think, what do you think people should look out for firstly? And secondly, how do you think people should approach the situation? So I, I looked at it um, from, from my perspective and from how, how I looked and things. Um, drastic weight loss was one. But if these are the people that you're going to be seeing daily, like I said, they're going to notice it but then also my family noticed it hugely because I hadn't seen them for a while. Um, escaping to the toilet after having some food would be a real telltale sign for me, you know. Um, unwell, weak, you know, just constantly feeling tired. That was a big part of it, being very tired. Um, not talking at the table, making eye contact. Um, you're kind of in your own little zone. Um, and it's more than just about the food. I, you know, there's a huge unhappiness in their lives at this point, you know, and, and that's that's what I realise when I look back now. Um, so whether it's stresses and strains that they're going through, you know, working towards GCSEs can be a big thing, you know, um, friendship groups changing, uh, parents splitting up. There's a huge number of things, but the weight loss, escaping to the toilet, perhaps unwell and weak, not talking at the table, making eye contact, really good at hiding things. I was really good at hiding it, like I said. Um, but, you know, at that point, are they happy in themselves? Have you noticed a big change in how they are? Are they unhappy? Are they going through stresses and strains? But it's so hard to talk about it. You know, it's like treading on eggshells. Mm -hmm. I did have a good relationship with my mother in law uh, and when she said to me, do you want children, that hit home. And also my partner said to me, you've got a lollipop head, you know. He's like, you don't look pretty. It's not attractive. 
you know, he, he always says it and he says it now. I met you when you walked into that bar, you had long blonde hair, you were a size 14. He said, and that's what I loved about you. And, and he says it now. And I still, you know, say things about my body and this, that, and then after having children, it's a totally different body, you know, that changes it again. And you have to love yourself again in a totally different way. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, just don't be afraid and miss and get help. You know, it's, it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to feel like you're doing something and you're losing a little bit of control. I think honestly, I'm a little bit of a control freak. So I held it, got it, masked it, hid it. I was on my own, so I hadn't got anyone watching over me. But if it's, you know, a family member in your household, you know, I would hope that I might be able to notice if it, if it was one of mine. But then there again, I was, I was clever. I know how clever and devious I was about it and how I managed to hide it. Um, so I, I think I think we need to. So I say it to mine. I talk. We talk at the table when we have food. I like to talk, and I always say, "If there's a problem, let's talk about it." Is anything? Everyone okay? Are we all happy? You know. Mm. I know it's not not easy. Um, but you're speak. quite a role model, Rach. You really oh, are. I mean, yeah. it's, you, you've you've had this addiction, you know, it, and you've you've survived it, and you've come out the other side, and you're almost holding that that kind of torture saying this is going no further this stops with me and I am going to make sure this doesn't happen to my children or to you know to your friend that you're yeah you're quite the role model it's a very empowering position oh thank you well I suppose for me I don't want any of mine or people I'm very good friends with to ever feel lost and I think I felt I think I felt lost at that time and I tried what I could to to make myself feel accepted and be um and you know what just be you don't have to be accepted just be yourself and I think I've learned a lot of life lessons over the time and I think I have an age on my side you know and being where I am now I've learned so much I still get upset to these days you know still sensitive and still look in the mirror and go oh there's a little bit of a wobbly bit there, you know, or there's those stripy tummy. <laughs> I've got those stretch marks, but I have to look at what I've got. I've got a husband. I've got two children. I'm very lucky with my unit and I'm very lucky to be where I am now. And I look back and go, no, I will never do that to myself again. It was a really, I learned a lot at that point in my life. I learned about myself. I learned you know, about why I wasn't happy, all of these little things I learned about. But I think, you know, we need to, we need to make it talked about. We need to let children, adults, you know, it's happening to males and females all over, you know, everybody. It, you know, we, we are all fighting a battle with foods. And I think because we all want to be the perfect, like we talked about the first time, didn't we, Kate? We said there's this perfect uh, body image that we have and we're not all perfect we have to love the lumps and bumps and be happy with the way we are um but I, I would hope that perhaps me telling my story might have helped even if it's just one person out there it's it's made a difference to someone because I I want to say it's okay to talk about it and it's okay you know to admit it 
made me feel massively emotional, Rach. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think something that you said that was so powerful, and I think it's it's a massive takeaway from from this chat, is that you talked about how your dad talked to you when you were younger and the things that were said. And I think probably generationally, maybe that was acceptable then. And it wasn't, you know, necessarily something that people would go, oh, well, you know, I didn't realize I was saying anything wrong. But the fact that now you're promoting you know talking to your children in a healthy manner in terms of not wanting to control what they eat and allowing them to enjoy it but also promoting the healthy lifestyle but then also talking about issues and if they're not happy to talk about it I think that's such a massive massive part of sort of society now going forward it's making sure that our children know it's okay if you're not all right and you can talk about it and if you talk about it we might be able to do something about it rather than hiding things away which I think has been a long issue dating yeah. back for many many years so I think that's such that's such a powerful message thank you I just hope it makes a difference and like I say if it's if it's one person it's it's helped one and that for me is massive because like I say you don't want to feel lost yeah. we just want to feel accepted Mm-hmm. absolutely well, thank you so much for sharing Rach yeah, oh, I yeah. sorry about the video I don't just don't know <laughs> I mean I literally was sat here clicking buttons as well going mm. <laughs> it's yeah. frozen your beauty in time you weren't pulling an awful face if it was yeah. me I'd be all over the shop you know <laughs> it's a good job could have been a lot worse it could have been worse. <laughs> I know I am I'm very facially I do a lot of facial expressions so it's a good job it caught me at that point because it could have been, could have been very different <laughs> well thank you so much Rach um it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and I'm probably going to go and have a cry now <laughs> and we will see guys very soon on the next episode of Strong Tea. Thanks, Rach. Thanks, everyone. Bye, Vicky. Bye, Katie. Bye. Bye.